0: welcome to after hours conversations for music educators presented by amro music this is where we share ideas and work towards solutions to better serve your students this week nick averwater continues his conversation with michael wells principal at clinton junior high school in clinton arkansas a town of around 2600 located 70 miles north of little rock for many years michael was a band director in several small school districts And in this episode, we'll get his perspective on how band programs can achieve excellence no matter the size of the district. Our conversation was recorded December 20th, 2022. It's broken up into two episodes, and this is part two. So,
1: Michael, I'd love to transition. I'd, I'd love to hear in your thoughts on this. I want to transition a little bit. You mentioned earlier that you have taught in a number of smaller districts, not uncommon in Arkansas, a lot of small districts in Arkansas, also have some very large districts. You mentioned Conway, which is right down the street. So I would love to hear your thoughts um, from a principal standpoint, because I think sometimes there is this, I have to be careful how I word this, that sometimes we want to try to move the finish line or our goalpost or our definition of what excellence should be or look like based on the size of the school district. Am I articulating that correctly and fairly, Michael? Um,
2: Absolutely. Yeah, I I hear so many times, um, and we can take it from music education or we can take it from the academic standpoint, but I I hear so many times the people that set up the – I don't know, I hate to say this word, but the built-in excuses, um, you know, they'll talk about the small school and the band program, and we just can't do everything that, you know, a a Russellville or a Conway can do because they're bigger. Um, and, you know, I, I think if you look around, you're going to see that there are excellent examples of, um, Of small programs, rural programs, urban programs um, that are doing excellent things. And, you know, I see the same thing in in education. Um, You know, even now when I took over this position as the principal, I, I started to get the same conversations from my teachers. Well, look at our poverty level. We can't achieve at this level. Our kids are 75% free and reduced lunch. And, um, you know, I I think we have to break that mentality. I have a a friend, Wes Pendergrass, he's a a fellow drill writer. And um, one of his common phrases he always says is excellence has no zip code. And um, I, I think that's an important thing that we need to take home into our schools nowadays that it doesn't matter what the situation you're placed in, you can achieve at a higher level than what you're at right now. Now that doesn't mean you're always going to be equal to everybody, but we can always step up where we are to something greater.
1: Yeah, and I, man, I think I mean this is this is such an important topic, right? Um, because a, I think it brings up the question of is well, how, how do you define excellence, right? Because right now we're using it as in a general term, and what you're saying is is that that there has to be a definition that perhaps is not tied to things like. Demographic wealth, funding level, school size—like we have to disconnect our definition of excellence from those things and focus on the things that we can control. So, Michael, help me unpack for you. I mean, what does excellent? What did excellence look like in your program as an educator, and how do you do, try to define it now as the principal at Clinton
2: Junior High School? Sure, um, you know, in my program, uh, when I was running a band program and everybody has their own definition of excellence so let me let me clarify that um for me important things to me were how were we um being viewed by a panel of judges how were our students individually um competing at the all region and all state level because it wasn't just about you know group performance it was about what kind of musicianship i was teaching to my students and um, you know, when we talked about all region, I wanted them to know that it didn't matter if they were from Clinton, Arkansas, or if they were from, and I'm just going to keep saying Conway because that was one of the biggest schools in our region at the time, that they could achieve at that all-state level. That that had nothing to do with anything surrounding them, even the band program, even the fact that we were um, duct-taping instruments together, <laughs> that... that all region and all state had everything to do with how much individual effort they were going to put into becoming a better musician. And if I could do that with my kids, then it was going to relay into all of a sudden our band was going to start getting better because we had better individuals.
1: Yeah, I I think that's, I, I think you're, you're, point is very well taken that that there's a lot of definitions of excellence within musical pedagogy that we can tie ourselves to musical excellence practice habits student development that aren't necessarily tied to again wealth and demographic and school size and everything like that now what about um man i have so many topics i want to keep unpacking i mean what about <laughs> your definition from a principal has, has that changed and how you communicate that with your with your team there uh, Clinton,
2: um, I mean, yes and no. It is still um, in our mind that we want our individual students to achieve at a high level. So um, exactly like I was discussing with our, our te- you know, with my kids when I was a band director and we were talking about the performance of our over- overall group and, um, how that related to the performance of all region and all state. This is now just like we are as a school. Um, I'm sure you've seen the new thing. They love to give schools ratings. Are you an A rated school, a B rated school, et cetera. And it all, it all depends on the standardized test scores. Well, but for us, what we're looking for is those scores are going to fall where they are. But can I get our kids to look at it and say, can i read at my appropriate grade level can we take um can we take little nick averwater who's reading at a third grade level right now in the seventh grade and how close can we get him to the seventh grade level by the end of the year so we're working not as a school as a whole and letting those scores fall where they may but we're trying to work on individual student development and really that's how i see that connection between what i did in the band room to what i'm doing now The more I focus on individual kids, the greater my school is going to become. Now let's reverse roles a
1: little bit, Michael, because of course you would, you would hope that a principal doesn't have these underlying biases driving their decisions, but I suspect out there there might be a principal. And just to use the examples to keep kind of going with that, let's say you've been hired as the band director at, at Clinton Junior High School. You're having a conversation with your principal, who's not named Mr. Wells, because you're the band director now, <laughs> and he makes this comment to you about, uh, well, hey, look, you know, we, we, we know we're not Conway, right? So so just just do your thing, but, but but we know you're not Conway. I mean, how would you go, would, would you address that? And how would you begin that education process with your principal to say, "Well, I know we're not Conway, but I have expectations.
2: Yeah, I completely agree that, um, you know, when you look at it and you compare apples to oranges and all that, you're not going to, you're not going to be able to put in you know, uh, 80 kids into all region at a school like Clinton. It's just not going to happen. There's not 80 kids in the program. Um, But I I think you start having that conversation with them about here's our goals. Um, Here's where I feel an appropriate balance is you know, 20% of the student body is now participating in music. Let's get that first number down and, and set that goal for ourselves. That gives us a realistic number for our program. You know, I talk to my band director all the time about what I'm looking for from you is can you get 15 kids out of each grade into your program? And if you get 15 kids, that's a great number for our school. That's a great percentage for our school. Now, out of those 15 kids, can you get four of them five of them into all region can you get 33% of those kids into all region um, to me those are realistic numbers you know to to sit down and say this is a goal for us to get to you know when you look just straight up no you're never going to compete with some of those larger schools but When you look at your resources and you look at how many kids you're involving and how many kids you're pushing to be great, I I think those are realistic goals that you can set for yourself.
1: Yeah, and again, it comes back to that definition of excellence. And, you know, Michael, not to hop on a soapbox, but I I think this is such an important conversation, particularly for young educators, because I think a lot of times, you know, in my role, I have the privilege of interacting with a lot. I think if this definition of excellence is misplaced— or perhaps incorrect, we have a much higher chance of having educator burnout and turnover. Um, Because I think for so many educators, they come from a big 5 or 6A high school. They have a terrific music experience. They go on to a college or a university. They have a terrific music experience. And then they get their first job at a 1A school. And all of a sudden, it's like, whoa, you know, I, I had more. I had more people in my flute section in college than I have in this program, and all of a sudden they're tackling with this definition of excellence. Because in high school, our definition of excellence was going to BOA, right? And now here I am, where I'm just trying to get kids to show up for rehearsal. You know, so I, I and I, I think again, I'm not meaning to get on a soapbox, but I think this definition of excellence is really important for young educators.
2: Yeah. And you said it um, absolutely correct. Burnout is real, um, especially for these um, single band directors. Um, And I say single as in a program, not in marital status or anything like that, Um, because it it is very difficult. The whole thing relies on you and, you know, how much are I don't know, it's a blessing and a curse because you've got your your feeder program. Well, you are your feeder program. So, you know, not only are you worried about the community and what they see with your high school band, but what are you doing with your beginners? What, How are you keeping your junior high kids engaged, which was always what I found was my biggest challenge. I could excite my beginners. I could motivate my high school, but keeping those 7th um, those and 8th graders active, involved, was, was a challenge for me. Um, but I, I think what you're saying, uh, about excellence that we have to do is we have to set realistic goals. You are never in that 1A program. Again, as you use the example of BOA, you're not going to turn a program that's got 12 kids into a BOA school overnight. You may never be that BOA school, but, what's the first step in getting there you know are, are you able to take your kids to the the state region assessments and are you able to get positive comments from the judges about doing what you do for your size group at an excellent rating and again that that rating is excellent um, you know or superior regardless of school size it's the same standard for everybody. Can you play in tune? Are you rhythmically correct? Um, you know, if we're talking about marching, are you in step? And, and all of those things are what you can do, whether you're at a hundred kids or whether you're at ten kids. Um, I always felt like being in a small school was uh, great for me, because again, with my goals, I worried that if I had two hundred kids in my band, I'm never going to give them the attention that they want or that they need to be better musicians that I could in a band of 50 kids. Um, You know, I could, I could directly affect more students individually that way than I ever could in a big program. And to me, that's what meant more um, about getting them to the level they needed to be.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, Michael, just so many, so many great thoughts. I'm thoroughly enjoying this conversation. So I would like to talk about one more topic with you. Of course, I've only had one other principal on this, on our podcast here. And so I think you bring such a a unique perspective. Um, Since the the pandemic has, I guess, end or whatever we want to call it, right? Um, Since then, I've heard a lot about, hey, students have changed, parents have changed, but this word keeps coming up, apathy, apathy. I, I keep hearing this word come up. What's your take on that? Are you seeing it? And then... You know, what, now what do we do? What does it mean and how do we move forward from here?
2: I, I think I am definitely seeing it. Um, I think we all during that semester that we stayed at home, um, we all got very comfortable in relaxing, if that makes sense, um, what I'm saying. <clears throat> but even participation levels. Um, and it's not just band. We're seeing lower participation levels in athletics. Um, we're seeing them in band choir everywhere because people in general got used to, instead of this crazy running around lifestyle that Americans were used to doing, where we were constantly going to our next kid's t-ball practice and piano lessons and, um, you know, everything else on our plate. Uh, we, we, Came to enjoy that semester where we just had family time, and we were sitting at home enjoying each other's company. So, I mean, I think that played into it a lot. Um, that why am I why am I pushing myself when this is much more enjoyable? So, um, from a participation standpoint, I'm I'm seeing it um, from even a school standpoint, and like how much effort we're putting into our schoolwork or um, in our school at Clinton, we've been very disappointed in uh, pre-pandemic all-region tryout numbers versus post-pandemic. The kids are, you know, they're, they're content playing in band for fun, but they're, they're missing that drive we used to have to, to get themselves into all-region. Hmm. So it's definitely present.
1: Um, is, is what I'm hearing from your end. So, 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 so now what, you know, what, what, what's our next move? I mean, is, is pre-pandemic engagement our goal or going back to our definition of success? Are we having to revisit the definition of success here?
2: Um, for us pre-pandemic is still our goal. Um, I don't know if that's the right answer or not, but I, I will tell you, we are trying our hardest to, um, to try to get kids back in by, by using celebrations. And that's something as a principal that I was not focused on before the pandemic. Um, You know, I I felt like our kids kind of pushed just because that was the expectation, whether that was in band or it was at school Um, post pandemic, we're, we're having to do a lot more of um, smaller celebrations along the way. How did you do on, rather than, you know, ACT Aspire or big end-of-the-year assessments. How did you do the first nine weeks? How did you do even this week, daily, calling out student celebrations to try to make them feel good about coming back to school, being here, giving effort? So, um, and I think the same thing has to be true for the band world at this point. What can you do to get your kids back excited and, and wanting to be a part of something great? You know, how can you reward them weekly? What kind of things do they need to hear to realize that they are a part of something bigger than themselves?
1: Yeah, because, I I, man, it's such an important topic. But what you just touched on, part of something bigger than ourselves, I don't think that desire has left us, right? In fact, I think it's probably deeper— than it ever has been, because we lost it for a period of time. and And I have to admit staying home was nice For me, not traveling was nice. spending time with my kids was nice. but i miss I missed that being part. I mean, I missed the community of being here at Amro Music and with our staff and and with our team. I missed that being a part of something bigger than ourselves. And so i I think that part we just have to figure out how to tap into that and engage that to kind of reactivate that um, eagerness to be a part of it.
2: Yeah, and um, I mean, I will go a little deeper than that. I, th- I think a lot of that depends on, um, again, personality. I, I, you know, over the last couple of years, there's been quite a bit of research on what drives people, how they work, you know, the, the love language book. There's there's all these things that are coming about, um, about how to interact with different people. And I, I think you're right that there were some people that, during the isolation period, they were ready to jump back in. And I think those are the ones that are back to excelling because they missed that. Um, however, I think for years we have, um, we've had kids that were hanging on just because that was kind of the societal expectation. If that makes sense, what I'm saying there. And those kids now are the ones that we've got to, to re-engage because, those that were a little socially distant are the ones that didn't miss that. They're the ones that didn't crave to get back into the swing of things. They're the ones that when we talk about the, the decrease in numbers, those are the kids that we've got to figure out how to touch. And they're the ones that probably even need this more than the people like me and you who wanted to get back into the swing of things and wanted to get back to school and wanted to get back into the office.
1: Yeah, I'm smiling at myself. That's a great point because we talk about personality strengths all the time. And naturally, I looked at this through the lens of me, Nick Averwater, the extrovert that hosts a podcast, you know. Somebody's like, yeah, it's great. Let's all get back together. There's a lot of people that don't feel that way. So I'm I'm kind of smiling at myself because you're 100% right. Not everybody feels that way. So is there anything that you all are trying specifically at Clinton Junior High School to try to reach those students that perhaps – aren't enthusiastic, aren't excited to get back out, perhaps like the Michael Wells and the Nick Averwaters of the world are?
2: Um, Yeah, Yeah. we've tried um, several things, uh, things that I didn't even think as a principal myself I'd be focusing so much on, um, working on like uh, mentor groups where kids have a small group and one teacher who is their connection at school. Um, we tried last year, we, we made a list of our most disengaged students and we adopted a student to try to, to make sure that every day that kid had somebody walk up to him in the hallway and say, how are you doing today? I'm glad to see you. You know, it was so nice for you to be here today, just to try to make them feel welcome. Um, you know, those kind of, uh, social emotional strategies are what we're doing to try to get those kids to. To feel comfortable to come back and and want to be a part of it.
1: Mm, I love that. And something that's easily copied within a band program, something that can also be uh, copied there. Also a great recruiting idea, adopt a prospective student. So I'm just kind of throwing ideas around now. Well, Michael, I, it, it's hard to imagine here that we are approaching the 60-minute mark. Before I wrap up, do you have any just final advice or closing thoughts you might want to share with our listeners?
2: Um. And the one thing I, I wanted to say is, as you're talking with your principal, remember, we have been in your shoes. We were all young educators at one point. We, um, I don't know, I, I guess the way to say it is, is we talked about the humanity um, earlier. We are people. Um As principals. We have emotions. We care deeply about our teachers. We care deeply about our students. We question ourselves daily about, are we doing the right things and have the same self-doubts that every teacher does. So, um, be supportive, uh, work with your administrators and, um, foster that relationship. It's, it's often what they say is a lonely job and, um, you know, you missed that connection you had with your, your peers when you were teaching. So um, just reach out and and try to foster those relationships. And I appreciate you talking with me today.
0: That's Michael Wells, a former music educator who is now principal at Clinton Junior High School in Clinton, Arkansas, talking with Nick Averwater on After Hours, Conversations for Music Educators, which is presented by Amro Music. This podcast is produced by Nick Averwater and Joel Hurd in Memphis, Tennessee, and you can hear many more conversations with music educators at amaromusic.com slash hours Hey,
1: if you enjoyed today's episode, here are two easy and fast ways you can support the After Hours show. First, your five-star review means a lot as it helps to boost us in the podcast rankings so that other music educators, just like you, can find us. Second, if you thought of someone that would enjoy this week's content and episode, hey, please share it with them so that they too can be a part of the After Hours community. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next week.